Hello and welcome to On Air with Elk River Treatment Program for Teens, the residential program of Pinnacle Behavioral Health. I'm Selena Mason, the Director of Marketing and Outreach. Today's podcast was pre-recorded by Kathy Marino, Director of Admissions, and Penny Baker, Director of Clinical Services for Elk River Treatment Program, and our special guest, Holly Hunter, who owns and operates Safe Passage Global. Here's Kathy, Penny, and Holly presenting Navigating the Parental Guilt Trip. Hello, everyone. I'm Kathy Marino, and I'm the Director of Admissions for Elk River Treatment Program. And we are here today to talk about navigating the parental guilt trip. And I want to take a minute to introduce you first to our panel. This is Holly Hunter, who is the owner of Safe Passage Global, and she is also a certified parent coach. And then we also have with us Penny Baker, who is the clinical director for Pinnacle Behavioral Health. So we want to spend some time today talking about how parents' guilt can interfere and potentially be an obstacle with the admission process to a program, also how to sort through and how it can affect um, the transportation process to getting a child to treatment, and how the guilt can also interfere with um, the parent's commitment to continuing their child in treatment. So thank you again for joining us. Um, And I want to see, Penny, if you will start us off and explain a little bit more about what we're going to be going into today. Sure. Thanks, Kathy. Uh, When we're talking about the parental guilt trip, you know, we are coming at it from a perspective of being in the trenches. And between the three of us, we have worked with families from the decision-making process of is treatment needed, from outpatient, transportation, to referrals to admissions, to working with IECs, to um, even walking them through the treatment program. And we have seen many facets of where guilt has often interfered with parents being able to do what they needed to do as parents um, and the struggles and the challenges that guilt really faces. Now we're going into this training today knowing that um, without a doubt, guilt is a big topic to, to tackle. Um, you know, if we were um, if we were smart, we probably could make millions because if Brene Brown can do it on the topic of shame, uh, we probably could do a whole conference on guilt. Um, so uh, I know we're, we're biting off a lot. Um, we're hoping to get to you the high points of what's important when it comes to parental guilt trip and how that affects what we all do um, as a team and individually in each of our roles. And we hope you're able to learn a lot from today on what that means. So um, buckle up and get ready for our ride as we talk about navigating the parental guilt trip. Penny, thank you for talking a little bit further and going a little more in depth with what we'll be reviewing today. Um, Holly, I wanted to turn this over to you. And if you could share with us a little bit more about some of the concepts of guilt Um, I know that certainly in your role, as far as doing transportations and parent coaching, that you are very used to seeing many shapes, sizes, and forms of guilt. So I wanted to see if you could talk a little bit further about that for us. Absolutely. Thank you so much. I do see guilt. We, We see it often. A lot of guilt that we hear on a daily basis comes from parents who simply feel like they aren't good enough that they haven't done enough for their child and no good parent would ever reach beyond the parent boundaries in order to bring their child to the help 
place they need. So they're struggling with placement, they're struggling with a treatment plan, and they're struggling with how to make this all come about. Um, when you think about it in terms of that criminality aspect, you come to it from a place of a dynamic dissonance that has been created in the family, either through chaos or manipulation. And we hear that manipulative behavior all the time, but it's more than that because it's not just a child who has grown up manipulating to get their way or a, a, another family member who is uh, creating drama, but it's about a dynasty of people that are all involved in this that create the guilt for one person. It's not just a one and done, it's an ongoing. So it's more than just a simple concept. You know, Holly, one of the things that I've noticed in working with parents and kids, especially clinically and in counseling, is that a lot of times that guilt is also fed by unresolved issues where you have that parent that hasn't dealt with their own stuff. Um, so when it comes to making decisions for their kids, their own stuff that's unresolved is really interfering with what they need to do as a parent. Um, and unfortunately, our kids that we work with are so savvy and intelligent. They know how to work that with a parent. Exactly. Um, and just and I love what you talked about as far as the that 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 dynasty that happens and those influences that happens that comes from all of these other resources because mm -hmm. you know what feeds that guilt and you know when we look at the unresolved issues that that parents have of their own stuff usually from their own childhood mm -hmm. of unmet needs and then you combine that uh, looking at who all influences us. Uh, of establishing that kind of moral value standard that you were talking about, you know, that could be school, that could be family, that could be values imposed by and beliefs, whether it's a religious belief or um, our peer group we associate with, or I've seen families even, you know, their guilt comes from how people view them based on a socioeconomic standard or financial standard. I, I don't know if you, exactly. if, is that what you're talking about exactly. when you're talking about that influence? Well, and that's why I call it a dynasty, because it's not just the friends at school, and it's not just the siblings, and it's not just the parents or the grandparents or some civic leader or religious leader or youth group friends and so forth. It's all of them, because not just one person teaches a child how to be, be manipulative or how to influence them in a way to circumnavigate the family boundaries so that they can get whatever it is that they are looking to get and achieve their personal goal, which the kids we see, their personal goals do not align with family goals, obviously. <laughs> so that's why we all have jobs. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I do think it would be very interesting to, and a, a challenge that I have, and again, um, all of you watching, one of the things that we asked from the beginning is that you put on your, your, your shoes of the parent, walk in their shoes for a moment, what they might be experiencing. So really, I want you to stop and think, what influences all of your decisions? You know, what aspects of yourself, what values do you have? 
what social, personal, community resources are really influencing the decisions that you make every day. And as you take a moment just to think of that, you know, that's going to give you some insight that every family and parent that you work with, you really have to look at what is influencing their decisions. Because if they're starting to, to show some of the signs that the guilt is interfering with good decision making, you know, that's going to help you be able to really see where that source is coming from by looking at the big picture outside of even just the family dynamic. But overall, where is that guilt coming from? What is it about that experience from that parent that has caused them to evaluate themselves as a failure, that they've made a mistake? And what's really complicated about grief, uh, grief about guilt, what is really complicated about guilt is that guilt's important. But so is grief. Mm -hmm. And that is where, and, and I'm glad you brought that up because grief is almost an outpouring from guilt. So the two are very closely related. At least that's what we see in our office. So to, to go down that road is not far out of the realm of, of what we're doing today. Um, and I know that you probably see this in doing admissions and that you know the guilt-ridden parent from the first breath that they draw on the phone with you. Um, they can't accept their decision and they're looking for a way out. That's something we see all the time and that's driven by guilt. So how do you get past that? Mm -hmm. um, transparency, honesty, sometimes even calling them out on it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what is important is that we in the most professional and kind way that we can, but let them know what's going on. And we understand that you don't want to have to make this decision, but how is this going to affect the rest of your family if you don't? Is this going to be a life-changing uh, experience for everyone? Of course it is. But how can we move through this process together in a kind way, in a gentle way, but direct? so that we've set common goals as professionals, helping you, assisting you, and bringing you and your child to a place where they need to come to. Well, and I think one of the important things for us to address as well, and, and maybe Penny or, or Holly, you guys can comment on this, is, you know, is all guilt bad? Absolutely not. Absolutely right. not. And I do think that's an important distinct distinction, you know, whether it's in making a decision about treatment or whether it's just in the way you live your life. Um, guilt is important. Guilt is what motivates us. Guilt helps us, you know, when um, if we're trying to lose a little weight and, um, you know, guilt can be very motivating when you're making a decision to pick up that donut or not. Um, so guilt can be very healthy for us. But what we find is guilt also can be very unhealthy for us when we're putting other people's perspectives of what is best for us um, and overly influencing what our value system is on what's right and wrong, it can move to an extreme and unhealthy place. When guilt becomes irrational is, is the big piece of it. So that's really what you have to look for and what it looks like with parents really when you really see this is, you know, and I'm sure, you know, you see it in transportation and admissions. I know I see it anywhere from outpatient counseling all the way through residential treatment, is that when you have a parent who's making decisions based on what is best and feels 
best for them versus what is probably best for the health of their child. You know guilt is interfering. There's something there that they're, they haven't worked through that they still need to work through to help them be able to make the best decision for their child. So that's when it gets into that unhealthy category, which is really what our focus is today. And that's where I think is one of the different, the most difficult pieces for all of our jobs. And I know, you know, as well, what, what you guys are facing in your practices with, with your clients too, is, you know, when we get to that point where it, it all of a sudden, you know, it just becomes so overwhelming for the parents and they do begin to look way more at their own needs versus gosh, uh, how, how can I step back from this and do what is going to be in the best interest of my child? Exactly. And I think that one of the big things that we see in the difference in parents are parents that are sitting in their guilt. And that's when it's unhealthy. And parents who then have identified their guilt but are passing through it. Two entirely different situations and two entirely different scenarios. And as a result, you wind up with two entirely different sets of parents and their methods of communication, their anger, their frustration is generated in totally different ways. Mm. Example, if you're okay with this. Um, last week, we moved a child to treatment and everything went perfect. The child was high risk. And uh, as many of you probably guess, and at these days, we stop often for a COVID test. And so we, we always hope and pray along the way that it's not going to be positive. So we don't have to take the child back home when we've made this much transition in their life already. Because, I mean, let's be real. If they're positive and the receiving program doesn't have a place for them. If they're positive, that's where we go. But in this case, it was negative. Everything went well. The child did well, even though they were really high risk. And following everything, we got a phone call back to the office from a parent who just went off the rails with us. Angry. How could you possibly do this without keeping me in the loop? Well, we did. It was an overnight drive. And first of all, they're told up front, no news is good news. We need you to believe that. It's real important that you hear me on this because we don't want your son thinking that we're reaching out to you for uh, approval on everything we do, whether it's stopping for gas or getting food or, or you know whatever else we need to do. So he just couldn't get past the fact that he didn't get phone calls all night long every hour and we're the recipient of his anger. What is that really saying? It's saying that he's sitting in the guilt for making the decision and he's feeling guilty because either he wished he did it himself, driving his son to treatment, or just the fact that he can't get his head around what all's going on. And he's finally coming down from the business of the family, which was making this decision, but he's sitting in the guilt mm -hmm. versus the parent who calls in and says, thank you so much, this was wonderful. I understand my child did great, and, and he's there safely. Thank you so much. And you you just taken a great weight off of us. And, and that's, that's the difference in sitting in that guilt and not. You know, I'm glad you brought that up, Holly, because I think it might help in giving our parents a perspective. And because, again, you're acting as the parent right now in our training, is to give you a perspective of what does this look like? Holly just gave one example of kind of on the transportation side of the house, kind of what what it looks like and how that parental guilt shows up. 
But I think it might be beneficial for us to be able to kind of break it down and go through the admissions, the transportation, the treatment. I've given you some examples of, of what this looks like, you know, things to be able to really pay attention to if you see these certain scenarios or either, even certain phrases that that's probably tipping you off. That's a good clue that you have some parent that's struggling with their own guilt and there's a chance that's going to interfere with what's best for the child. So next, I think maybe let's have a little conversation and talk about um, how it presents in each of kind of our roles and what we do kind of in the trenches with families. And um, maybe Kathy, you can start us off, especially you get usually that initial call from the admissions side with that family in crisis and in a panic and talk about guilt stuff that they're having to deal with. Maybe you can give us some examples of what you're seeing um, when you get that first phone call or communication from the family. Sure, absolutely. You know, most of most of what I hear in admissions is, as I'm sure, very similar to to what you hear when you have some of your first interactions with parents. You know, they typically kind of go through the story of what all is going on with their child and what the issues are. But then inevitably, in almost every phone call or interaction, they start to they start to say those phrases of, "Okay, if it's a child, maybe let's say that's adopted. Oh my gosh." Am I just going to re-traumatize my child again and they're going to feel abandoned if I go through this process and, you know, send them away from home, you know, um, you know, or my child has said, if I do this, they're going to do A, B, C, and D, which is usually some safety event. They might run away. They might kill themselves. They may, you know, um, uh, you know, I'm going to turn this age and I'm never going to come home. Or if you put me in treatment, I'm never going to talk to you again. You know, all of those kind of threats. Um, so that is typically for us kind of a little bit later in the conver in the initial conversation where after they get over the hump of this is what's going on and why we need help, then it turns much more typically emotional. You feel the guilt feelings. And another thing that we encounter a lot of times is, and I'll give you an example of this too, but families that just cannot, for whatever reason, make the decision to say yes, this is what I'm going to do, and I am going to place my child. I you know, recently worked with a family um, where the mother was horribly guilt-ridden, and that was very evident from the very beginning of the phone call versus a little later in the phone call. But the, the main request that I had from the mother through the entire admissions process was, can I please put you on the phone with my child so that you can talk to my child and let them know that this is what needs to happen and in so many words, basically get them to the point of being okay with us. Um, can I ask you a question about that? Mm -hmm. uh, just for my understanding, mm -hmm. do you think that parent was so afraid of being the bad guy that she wanted you to be the bad guy to tell her kid about treatment because whatever guilt issue she had going on, she couldn't do it? Correct. Correct. I think that was a huge part of it. Um, and this was a clearly a situation which I know we all have dealt with on a very regular basis where, you know, the child was really driving everything in the home. Um, and everything in that home and the family dynamic completely revolved around that child because either the, they didn't know 
how to manage or they were feeling so guilty or they were fearful because they were walking around on eggshells not knowing what that particular child was going to do. So I think for this family, the guilt came from a lot of different scenarios. Um, and so, so much of what my role ended up being through that admission process with this mom was not getting on the phone with the child and telling and communicating the, that to the child, but coaching the mother mm -hmm. on how do you do this as a parent, right? Mm -hmm. So how to navigate the parental guilt trip. How to completely navigate the parental guilt trip. Um, you know, and I was fortunate this mom was very open to that, um, even though it, content, it was a continuous struggle throughout that whole process. Um, but she was open to feedback and, and um, you know, would do would do some of the things that I was coaching her on doing. But that that's just been one of the most recent experiences I've had. I do have to say, I'm curious, um, were you able to work the mom through to the point where they actually placed? Mm hmm. Sure did. Yep, sure did. So, you know, and and as we all experience, some of those take much longer and it's a much longer process, um, you know, because because we do have to work and help them get through some of those feelings of guilt or at least be able to manage it better during the course of their decision making. So that was a little bit of a longer process, you know, from the initial phone call to actual placement, you know, in, in the program with us. Um, but I think that's a, you know, a piece that that we all have to, you know, just just figure out how to manage that with them and, and help them navigate that to a point where they are feeling okay about their decision. Because clearly we all know as parents and professionals, you never want to get to this point of having to place your child in a program ever, right? None of us ever want to because do that. Because what does that say about me as a parent? Exactly. See, I would think that would come up probably a lot on that initial admission call is, you know, I've been a bad parent. What have I not done to take care of my kid? I'm having to ask strangers to help me provide for my kid. And, uh, you know, I would think the kind of the beyond the parents' own stuff um, that they're all having to deal with that really feeds their guilt. Um, my guess, I know I see that. I don't know if you guys see that. It's kind of probably one of the most common themes with parents is just that fear of failure as well, a parent to your failure but even more so what they don't understand and give themselves credit for it's a very courageous decision mm -hmm. to send your child to treatment and that's just the bottom line mm -hmm. you can't do this kind of thing without having courage to reach beyond your parental responsibilities to ask for help that's just mm -hmm. that's just it and when you were talking about coaching the parent through because there's so much guilt that's laden layer upon layer by the child that needs to go to treatment. We have the same situations that we hear every day on the phone. Recently, we moved a child from a hospital setting to the woods. So interestingly enough, um, I mean, with COVID, all of that hospital pickup, a child has changed because we don't get invited back. We can't come into the hospital to have that moment of intervention like we like. Mm -hmm. So we either find ourselves on the curb doing it that way after the um, discharge papers have been signed and the parents are never there because of COVID, they're limiting access and so mm -hmm. forth. So this mom was so distraught, um, adoptive child, parents are now divorced and everybody is very, very dysfunctional. So you've got 
lots of layers to deal with. And mom says to me, he'll never speak to me again. He will say I'm abandoning him. He thinks I don't love him. And I said, has he said that? Or is this what you're saying? And once we got that identified from the standpoint of, well, I think he's going to hate me because he's going to say I abandoned him. And then he'll have more issues with his adoptive uh, background and problems there because I abandoned him. I said, then how about you take that right off the table? How about you simply say, son, I have not abandoned you. I have found a safe place for you. That's where you are right now. Because where you were before, your behavior was creating an unsafe environment for you. So you're safe right now while I figure out next steps. I have not abandoned you. Tell him straight up. So when he does try to bring it up, you've already taken that off the table. So when we can move through those dynamics in that way, it helps clear the guilt away so the parents can make a healthy decision that's healthy for them and their children and all the rest of the family too, because this decision affects everybody, not just the child going to treatment. You know, Holly, one of the the questions, because there, there's been a lot of media attention lately about yes. it, um, that has to be feeding um, the parental guilt, um, gives the kids a lot of ammunition yes. on kind of the process of treatment, especially if they're not completely on board with needing or wanting treatment, although the family knows that's the best thing and the safest thing for that child and that family. Um, but I was hoping you would, and I hate to put you on the spot, but I would hope you would maybe speak a little bit because I do think it's it's a big factor right now especially kind of what um, I know Kathy and I have had conversations of seeing it kind of through the admissions process when she's working with transportation mm-hmm. companies and then the programming kind of that whole as we work together kind of during that process you know one of the things one a lot of bad press that's been going on with terms that have been used especially with transportation companies about you know, kidnapping my child in the middle of the night and, you know, just some very disparaging kind of phrases that have been in the media that also come a lot where when we have the kids who, again, got some savvy, very intelligent kids who know how to work their parents. Right. Um, and especially the more we find, the more the kids work on their stuff, they even know the more they understand about their own issues, mm-hmm. they can better identify, oh, my parents have these issues too. And they kind of use that to, to guilt their parents some. And one of the things that comes up a lot um, that we've found um, with kids is they'll make comments like, well, they said, you know, my parents couldn't even bring me here. And, right. you know, and, you know, shame on them for having to send strangers in that woke me up and and anyway so i we're hearing a lot kind of on kind of our side of the house um of of kids you know using some of that to try to tap into that parental Mm -hmm. guilt and to manipulate at times or um control the the, their situation a little Mm -hmm. bit more um, related to transportation. And I was hoping you'd just take a moment to maybe clear some of that up. If oh, you could take a few to. seconds with that. I would be happy to. Uh, Goon Squad. I think that's probably the most uh, heard of term right now for uh, kids that are transported. Oh, I was gooned. Um, and it is 
<laughs> See, I've only heard kidnapped. I, I'll, I'll have to pay attention again. Kidnapped. Um, and, and, and this is the problem. First of all, I think that um, kids don't want to, uh, when it's not their plan, when it's not part of their life goals to go to treatment, they don't want to buy in immediately. And they don't want their new peers to think that they are buying in immediately because I can beat this, I can get myself kicked out and go home or whatever if I just complain. Now, that's not to say that there sometimes aren't reasons to complain, but they also, many kids, um, different generations have different languages. And unless you're up on their language, you don't know what they're talking about. So instead of saying they've been transported, they say, I've been gooned or I was, the goon squad came for me. Uh, the, the whole thing is this, the bottom line, we aren't goons. We're highly trained individuals who are going to keep these kids safe. That's what's important to us. We're going to let them know where they're going. We're going to let them know when we're going to get there, how we're going to get there and what they can expect when they arrive. We're not going to represent the program because we don't work for them, but we are going to represent the fact that we're here on behalf of your parents. Yeah, sometimes we come at oh dark 30. Why is that? Because in order to get you from point A to point B, which is 3,000 miles away, we've got to get on a flight because what they don't understand, it's most advantageous for them to have most daylight in front of them when they've set foot on the campus. So wherever that is, uh, no matter what kind of treatment center they're going to, daylight in front of them is important. So we try to factor that in when we're making the plan for transport. And sometimes if we don't have, um, if, if it's open egress to the house, then we want to come early so the neighbors are asleep. That way you don't have people out walking their dogs and snapping pictures and calling the cops and saying, you know, Jane Smith's son has been kidnapped. Again, using the terms mm -hmm. that are wrong for the situation in the moment. The last thing any of us want, I'll come back to you, but the last thing any of us want is to be the front page of the New York Times. That's just the bottom line. Unless, of course, it's all really good news. And then in the event that my son went to treatment and it all worked out really super good, it's great and wonderful to see on the cover of the, of the paper until you read the caption that the editor wrote, you know, dad is sitting here, you know, reading his Bible, waiting for the kidnappers to arrive. Well, it's not kidnapping if we have parental consent or guardian consent or whatever. So I think it's real important that we dispel those myths and move on to what is actually happening. And part of the guilt factor is that parents allow their kids on the back end to then talk about things with those terms instead of saying, no, you weren't kidnapped. I gave permission. No, you weren't gooned. They were good people, highly trained and skilled individuals. So until we take that approach, parents aren't going to be able to get rid of the guilt factor when they do need transportation help. Well, what uh, the a couple of things that really um, struck me, especially when it comes into, you know, how that kind of creates guilt that doesn't have to be created. Mm -hmm. One, by parents not correcting that language about transportation, the parents giving the kid ammunition to guilt the parents about, 
almost mistreatment. Right. And then the other part you mentioned about kind of being respectful of the time you transport mm -hmm. where it's not a scene in the neighborhood. Correct. We talked earlier, we know that when it comes to guilt, there's a big influence about what other people think about you, what your community thinks, your neighbors think, you know, and being respectful of that during a time period of, of doing it and strategizing that to be the least impactful to protect the the parents, you know, whatever feelings of, you know, embarrassment they may have, is, it that, takes that and away. That, and that embarrassment is false mm -hmm. because embarrassment is self-imposed. Mm -hmm. It's nothing anybody else can do. If you're embarrassed, it's because you impose that upon yourself. But I will tell you, the the whole piece of making sure that the business of the family is protected is important mm -hmm. because for what we're doing, it's not about, doesn't involve the neighborhood. You're not asking for consent from your friends, at least you shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. you, and you don't, and as parents, don't need to be seeking um, an advocate. Mm -hmm. All of your friends are not going to say yes. They're not going to understand. Are they going to still be your friends? I don't know. But what I do know is it's your family business. And we're going to do our very best to make sure it stays your family business and not anybody else's. You know, it's interesting how we see that kind of carry over, you know, once your your team kind of drops them off at the program um, of, you know, again, having to address because they'll try that again. And again, the importance of redirecting that language of them, not giving them that ammunition, um, whether it's from what they were told on the admission part of things to the transportation, mm -hmm. because what will happen is every time there's a kind of a new change in this, the kids are going to attempt again to tap into the parents' grief mm -hmm. and their guilt related right. to kind of having to hand their their child off to strangers. Right. So we see that all revisited again when they actually get to the program and they're admitted um, they'll revisit the admission, they'll revisit the, the transportation kind of piece of it, try to use all those terms, or um, a lot of times we have parents that have had to be pretty creative in how they got their kid to us if they didn't use a transportation company. So the kids have to work through that as well and really use that to try to guilt their parents. Um, but then the kid initially, uh, we find kids go through different stages and every kid is a little bit different when they come in. You know, some kids will go through their honeymoon stage where everything is great and wonderful. Uh, some kids will come in and right from the beginning, they're gonna try to challenge everything that they can challenge. So they, uh, again, are brilliant and savvy and they're gonna start turning up, especially as we push in treatment programs for them to really dig in and talk about some difficult issues, to address behaviors, to address family stuff. Their go-to initially is going to be, I'm gonna blame everybody else I can blame where I don't have to deal with my own stuff. So in blaming others, the first target is gonna be the family. It's gonna be the family, it's going to be their situation, they're gonna to try to blame parenting, what the parents have and haven't done. We know that going in. And so then the, that parental guilt really starts to ramp up. Because as this kid is trying to deal with some hard things and blaming the parents, the parents' stuff is gonna start creeping up. 
um, and really get in the way. And the kids know how to work that. So they'll use lots of things, and usually we find out, you know, when the kids, whether it's through their letter writing or family sessions or when they're doing family visits, usually we have a clue that the parents are, are really struggling with their guilt trip after those visits um, when the kids had a chance to work on them a little bit. Mm-hmm. And suddenly we get those phone calls or, you know, they're on campus and they say, you know, can I speak to you for a second as a staff? And we start hearing things of, you're not feeding my kid. My kid's not being fed enough. They're not being, you know, they don't get any therapy or they're not getting, uh, they don't like the food or they found bugs. Um, Well, in our particular case, we do the majority of our activities outside. They're probably going to encounter some bugs and some wildlife. But really, as they, you know, as they learn more about their issues, they're able to tap into what's going to work for their family. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. And families have to be aware from that. And one of the things that we really advocate for is that parents are in therapy while their kid is with us in treatment, doing their own stuff, working their own kind of program because if not it's giving the parent that that kid really the ammunition to really kind of push that because if they they start out in that dynamic dissonance dissonance Mm -hmm. at home that they've created and they've learned how to live and maneuver through it leaving everyone in this field of chaos while they then Mm -hmm. maneuver they're going to go back to that they hope Mm -hmm. that they're going to go back to that because then they can maneuver still and it's when I've heard from families and so forth, but it's when everybody then again aligns that mm-hmm. the guilt is shed and then we can move forward in the business of the family mm-hmm. and adopting these things that need to happen. Mm-hmm. But it is very interesting what we see, some similar things you guys have already talked about kind of actually in the program of when it's showing that that guilt is showing up is, um, of course, with when we work with kids with attachment um, or adoption issues, we always have the go-to of, you know, you leaving me here in treatment is, you know, um, making my feelings of abandonment worse. Um, they'll use that with a parent. You have a kid who's experienced trauma. Uh, typically, they will always go with, well, I don't feel safe. I don't feel you know, so they'll, you know, really tap into whatever their issue is or whatever they know that trigger is with that parent. They'll really start pushing that issue with the parent. Um, and then you also have when with the, the parental guilt trip, you know, they'll start calling in a panic of, is my kid feeling abandoned? Is my kid safe? Um, and and what are and then as you're going through treatment, the other thing we see a lot with the with the parents is when it comes to holidays or big events, um, that guilt and that um, interaction with what the family thinks and what you know, especially external family members, community members, friends, and all of that, they start worrying about well, what are they going to think if my kid's not home for Christmas? And helping the parents work through that, well, what's more important, that one Christmas or their life? Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll start seeing a lot of that where the kids will start working um, up with those family issues. Now, a big one actually that is on a flip side that we see a lot is that parents at times 
will start actually flipping the script and trying to use guilt to motivate their kid, mm. which never works. Right. The most common thing that we see as far as the kids using, the parents using guilt with the kids, mm -hmm. is usually financial. Mm -hmm. Whether it's, um, this is costing us so much money, you need to get to work. Well, you've just given ammunition to that kid that, oh, watch me now. Um, you, because it's not going to motivate. Anything like that is not going to motivate. Um, and I, like, I have one example where I had a kid that had done great in residential. She was at her last step, ready to graduate, motivated hungry just it was doing incredible and the parents in a family session told this kid you know what um because the kid begged please let me stay and finish please let me graduate and the parents made the comment well we've already had to lay off one maid we can't lay off one more to let you finish so what that's an example and it is flipping it a little bit with what we're talking about but that parent's view of what other people thought related to their financial status overrode what was best for that kid. Their guilt trip related to that interfered with what was best, the best decision as a parent. Mm -hmm. Thanks for listening to On Air with Elk River Treatment Program. Now, if you have questions that weren't answered in this podcast, please feel free to contact us at 866 906 That's 866-906-8336. You can also learn more at elkrivertreatment.com or you can send us a confidential email to info at elkrivertreatment.com. Thanks again, and we hope you'll join us next time on air with Elk River Treatment Program.